Tonight's reading is from John 14, verses 16 through 20, and we'll skip to 26 through 27, and John 15, 26 through 27, and John 16, 7 through 15. So hear the word of the Lord. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Skipping to 26. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance, all things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Skipping to 1526. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. I tell you the truth, that it's to your advantage. This is chapter 16, verse 7. I tell you the truth, that it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the reading of God's word. If we're to take out everything about the Holy Spirit, we're to take everything out about the Holy Spirit from the scriptures, would it change your life at all? Okay, there, yeah, thank you. That's something Would it change your life at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, man, come on. So... So when I was a kid, um, I think I was 11 years old, we did a, like a four-week-long trip across the West, and one of the stops that we made, we went to Mount Rushmore, and Mount Rushmore is maybe the least exciting thing there is. You show up, and you read a little thing about Mount Rushmore and how it was made, and then you, you look at it. So if you've never been, now you've been. That's all you got. Imagine you're in South Dakota or North Dakota, wherever it is, I forget, actually. One of the Dakotas. Sean, which Dakota is it in? South Dakota. All right. And then open your eyes, and you're there. That's all you do. You look at it, and uh, that's, that's, that's it. And then you just keep looking at it. And then you keep looking at it. And then you go home. And then you've been to, South, you've been to uh, Mount Rushmore. That was one of our stops. Uh, another stop that we did... A couple weeks later was the Grand Canyon. Who've been to the Grand Canyon? Um, I don't remember much about it. I want to go back one day. But the Grand Canyon also is rocks, except it's amazing. You can't see 
the end of it, and the more, the further you get into the Grand Canyon, the bigger and the more beautiful and majestic the Grand Canyon is. Um, but in the Grand Canyon, you're like participating in the rock. You're, you're kind of adventuring down. You get, if you bring camping gear, you get to stay the night in the Grand Canyon. Mount Rushmore, you just look at it, and then you look at it and you go home. Grand Canyon, you look at this huge rock, and then you're like engaging with it. And you're going in, and the more you go in, the more majestic and beautiful that it is. Now, what I just posed to you is two forms of Christianity. One form of Christianity is Christianity is a bunch of doctrines that we cognitively look at. And then we just keep looking at it, and we keep looking at it. And then hopefully over time, if I can remember these things enough, and I look at them enough, then I'm going to grow in joy, or I'm going to grow in peace, I'm going to grow, and I'm going to have life, the life that, that John speaks of in, in, in the gospel, eternal life. Just keep looking at it. Just keep looking at it. And the other form of Christianity is I show up at the rock, and I'm blown away by it. But then I jump into this life in the Grand Canyon, and the more that I get into it, the bigger and the more majestic and amazing and beautiful and exciting that it is. That's the Christianity I want to talk to you about tonight. And that's the Christianity that Jesus talks to us about in, in John 14, 15, and 16. He doesn't teach like we teach or your teachers teach in your class where it's like section A, here's 13 verses in a row that talks about this point and then section B, 13 He's like A, B, C, C, B, A, C, C. But he's really talking about three main things over the, over the course of the next three chapters. He's talking about three main things. And it's about our life in Christ. If you remember Mickey Mouse last week, remember we've put on Christ. We're seen as in Christ, just as the body, the person inside the Mickey Mouse costume is seen as Mickey Mouse. So too, by faith, we're seen in Christ. We've put on Mickey Mouse. And Mickey Mouse doesn't hike up mountains. Mickey Mouse doesn't run marathons. Mickey Mouse waves. So there's this kind of, you've got you to figure out how to, how to wave and how to walk like Mickey Mouse. In the same way we've put on Christ. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in Christ. What life as a Christian looks like. Um, and tonight and tomorrow, we're, or tonight and next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for the next two weeks. And then Jesus also talks a whole lot about obedience to the commandments. So we're going to talk about obedience in a couple weeks. And then he talks a whole lot about suffering and how as Christians we endure in the midst of suffering. So that's what we'll talk about in four weeks. But tonight is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How has he worked Throughout history, how has he worked in the world? And how does the Holy Spirit change us and equip us and motivate us and push us into the canyon and help us explore? How does the Holy Spirit help us live as Mickey Mouse? I'm going back and forth between two illustrations, and I hope you catch one of them. All right, so let's read our verse. Then we'll jump into those three points. So we're going to skip around verses, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to the verses that I, I skip. But he goes back and forth between Holy Spirit, obedience, suffering, suffering, obedience, spirit. Um, man, this thing's off center. Or 
None. Anyway, John 14, hear the word of God, and then we're going to spend a minute in prayer. John 14, starting in verse 16. I will ask the Father that he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Um, if you remember from the Nicene Creed, in that time in the 4th century, they were like, man, tell us more about the Holy Spirit. Because the Apostles' Creed is like, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So then people gather back, like, hey, we've got to elaborate on the Holy Spirit. It was one of the things that says, proceeded from the Father. And here's where it's from. I'll ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Skipping ahead, a whole chapter, the end of chapter 15. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. I don't know what that word is. I've got to look here. I tell you the truth. That's tell. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what we're going to talk about next week. What in the world is he talking about here? Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. Is this in there? If I screwed up big time? Is verse 12 in there? No. Well, there we go. John 16, verse 12. If you're following along in your Bible or your app. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's the reading of God's word. Let's uh, go to him in prayer. Um, God, we, we now come to you, the author and the perfecter of our salvation. We come to you, Holy Spirit, the one who inspired these words and the one who illuminates them to our soul. We come to you burdened by life. We come to you burdened by relationships. We come to you with a conscience that is eating away at us because of our sin. And we come to you to be hidden in your Son. We come to you to find forgiveness of sins. We come to you that we might find life and life eternal. Lord, as we approach your word, would you teach us through it? Would you shape us? Would you change us? And would we leave, would we leave this place bearing more the fruit of love for your glory? We pray. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, three points. What the Holy Spirit does. 
how the Holy Spirit has worked and how the Holy Spirit changes us. That's where we're going. All right, so what the Holy Spirit does. If you flip to the very beginning of your Bible, the first two verses you might not have memorized, but you know the gist. The main framework for understanding the role and the work of the Holy Spirit is the first two sentences of the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And right there, we are introduced to the Spirit of God, who's hovering over the face of the waters. And we see, in a very simple and clear way, an understanding of what the Holy Spirit does that then sets the stage for the rest of Scripture. The Spirit takes what is dark and formless and chaotic, and He breathes life into it. He brings form. He brings order. Order. He did this with creation here in these first few verses, and soon he does it with man taking the dust and breathing life into it, and you get Adam. You know, the fancy way of of understanding this is that the, the Holy Spirit is the acting agent in the world, applying or bringing to fruition what God has ordained through the Son. Let me say that again. That's some dense Trinitarian theology. The Holy Spirit is the acting agent in the world, applying or bringing to fruition what God has ordained through the Son. So let's look at a passage to help us understand this. Flip open to your Bible or pull open your Bible app to Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1. Flip open to your Bible or your Bible app. Ephesians chapter 1. And this is amazing. Uh, Hannah, do you have that? Okay, you have the pen. Here's what Paul says that help us understand the roles of the Trinity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so what has the Father done? All right, so this is, if you can hopefully see this. So the Father has done something. He has blessed us. The word blessed is he has given us his peace. He has given us his smile. When I say the benediction at the end, this is the blessing of God. He has turned his face towards you and now gives you his peace. He has given you his blessing. And he has blessed us in Christ. In Christ, last week. With every spiritual blessing, Christian. All the blessings from the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in him, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. So the Father has made us holy and blameless. In him. Okay? The Father has, in love, predestined us, scary word, but a biblical word, predestined us for adoption. And that's the word that we're going to talk about from our passage. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This is the Father's will. This is what he has ordained. Everything I just says, what the Father has ordained. 
to the praise of his grace, which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. So in him we have redemption. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. And in him, uh, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, we have wisdom and insight. An insight, making known to us the mystery of will, of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth to himself. So the plan before all creation is out of love, in love, the Father for us, his chosen beloved people, that we might be found in his Son. In that peace, in his smile, in holiness, in blamelessness, in redemption, in forgiveness, in wisdom, in insight, is ours. This is us. How is it ours? Through the redemption of his son, the work of his son, the blood of his son. And how is the work of his son given to us over here? By his Holy Spirit, who brings us into this triune dance, as some people have called it. We now share in the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father, before all creation, in love, predestined you, Christian, to be adopted and to have forgiveness of sin and to have redemption and hope and to have wisdom and insight and to have the smile and the face and the peace of God. In other words, apart from God, you're you're left in your sin. Apart from God, you're unable and unequipped to grow in your holiness. In fact, the more you grow old, apart from God, without Christ, without the Spirit, you grow more bitter and angry and greedy and selfish. Because apart from the light of Christ, which is given by the Spirit, you're left in the dark. Apart from God, you're all alone. You're all alone. In him we have adoption, but apart from him, you're all alone. Apart from God, there is no grace and wisdom and insight for your life. Apart from God, you do not have forgiveness of sins. Your conscience will eat at you and tear you up for the rest of your life. And the only way to try to rid yourself of that guilty conscience is to try to work it away and do good deeds so that it'll quiet the work in the, the conscious, the, the guilt that your conscious feels, or to numb it, and to escape. And those solutions don't work. Apart from Christ, you are dead in your sin. But the Holy Spirit is applying and actively renewing the world and renewing you, Christian, into the communion of the Father and the Son. And all that is Christ's is now yours because of the Spirit's work in your life. So that you have redemption, that you have the peace and the smile, that you have hope to be made holy. The Holy Spirit is applying what God has ordained from the beginning of the world through the Son. So will you, what will your life change if you were to rid the scriptures of the Holy Spirit? It would tremendously change. You know... In fact, Paul seems to say that if the spirit was not there, Christ would still be dead. And we would still, we would be left without hope. Without the spirit, there is no hope of renewal in you or around you. And the overarching story of the Bible is that God created out of nothing. 
What was formless he gave form to. From darkness there came light. From dust there came man. And it was good. And the active presence of God dwelt with his people. And if you trace the story of scripture, you learn that man and woman reject God. They deny the light and darkness reigns. And out of God's grace, he chooses a family and then a people. And he dwells with them again through the tabernacle. And he leads them through the waters. And he, he, and he dwells with them through the temple. And, and what happens? Their hearts go unchanged. Their hearts go unchanged and they rebel. And God sends them into exile. And the prophets, if you go look at the middle of your Bible, the prophetic books that depict for the people of Israel a day where the Holy Spirit would come. And it would change this heart of stone. And you start reading Isaiah, and you read Joel, and you read Ezekiel, and you see images, and you have these actual words of this day, when the Messiah would come, and the Messiah would die, and he would be raised from the dead, and ascend to the Father, and he would give the Holy Spirit. And that would usher in what's called the last day, which we're at. The day of the, of the Spirit. Which is why in, in verse 7 of our passage it says that it's to our advantage that Jesus goes away. Because if he does not go, the Helper will not come to us. The one that's been told from, from before. The, the Spirit brings us into the heavenly dance. It applies the work of Christ on our behalf. It's renewing, he's renewing the world around us. That's what the Spirit has done. Um, and how has the Spirit worked? How does the Spirit work? Um, I want to give us another illustration that helps me think about things. Has anyone ever cracked the windshield or been in a wreck or had like a little rock or debris come into here? And it starts with like this small little, little thing and over time the crack becomes bigger. Um, yeah, so this is, this is a good illustration that, I, that I, I, I want you to remember as you leave this place. Um, the story of, of Scripture says that um, before the fall, before sin, that our windshield, so to speak, was, was perfectly clear. You could see through it perfectly. But sin entered the world and our windshield got cracked. Okay? Um, and now we can't see out of it clearly. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is twofold. There's one, the, the, the Spirit's work in saving us, to keep, keep to the analogy, bringing us to the car mechanic, Okay? So he brings us in, and the second work is he applies the work of Christ on our behalf, sanctifying us and fixing the windshield, slowly but surely, helping us see more clearly out of it, helping us see and savor the person of Jesus, giving us a better grasp and understanding of his love. You know, in this passage in particular, Jesus teaches that the Spirit does one main thing, the Spirit brings glory to Christ. The Spirit bears witness about the work of Christ, which is his past work, his death and resurrection. And the Spirit is bearing witness and testifying for the things that are to come, Christ's future work. You know, one, one, one person I read says, says it this way, the Spirit is here to convince the world of the reality of God, the truth of God, has come in Christ. That's the Spirit's work. That's his task. is to show us the truth of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the goodness of Christ. 
It's to clean off the windshield that's been cracked and help us see more clearly out ahead of us. And Jesus makes all throughout this this passage, Jesus makes all sorts of promises to his apostles that have actually come true and also are coming true. Um, And so I'm going to explain what I mean. Um, There are promises that have come true. So for example, Jesus is sitting here with his apostles and he says, the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. He will give you um, the helper of the Holy Spirit and the Father will send in my name. Uh, He says this in two different places. And this is a similar thing that he says in Matthew 28 where he says, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How is Jesus with us always to the end of the age? By Spirit. And these things have actually come true. These came true days later. The Pentecost, which we read about in in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And Peter and the, 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 the people around them are like, what is going on here? And Peter says, hey, remember, and he then references this prophetic story from Joel chapter 2. Remember the exile, they brought into exile and Joel was giving those people hope for a future day when the Spirit had come. And Peter's saying, that day has come. And he quotes Joel 2 here, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy and see visions and see dreams. My male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit. This time that Jesus says right here, the Helper, the Spirit, and the Father will send, was sent. These promises have come true. This is one example. Another example, Jesus promises, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And this has come true. This, this ignites the theology of Paul when he says in two different places that we don't receive a spirit of slavery to fall into fear, but we've received the Holy Spirit the spirit of adoption of sons, and we cry out, Abba, Father. He says the same thing in Galatians 4. So this promise, I will not leave you as orphans, it's come true. And the last thing I want to point out is the promise of divine inspiration. It says, The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about you. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And this came true. This came true. When we believe, and as the history of the church has believed, that the Holy Scriptures are inspired by by the Holy Spirit, it's because, one, the Scripture teaches that. 2 Timothy says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, etc. Ephesians 2 says, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles. Now, who are the apostles? Those who witnessed were, saw witness to Christ and were inspired by His Spirit, speaking the words of Christ and, and writing the Scripture that you hold in your hand. The foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophet, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And the last thing we read is from 2 Peter 1. 
We did not cleverly follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of coming of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves, we heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Jesus on the mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That our prophecy, they're saying, we saw Christ... We were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Spirit has worked and is spoken through us. And that all prophecy is not man's own interpretation. Never was it produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the first thing to see is the Spirit's work in the history of the church. When Jesus promises that he will teach you all things, he's speaking first and foremost to those 11 in the room, to those 12 in the room. I will bring to your remembrance all things. He's saying, hey, over the next 30 years, as you are apart from me, and you're writing down, hey, Matthew, as you're writing down your gospel, hey, John, as you're writing down your gospel, hey, Peter, as you're writing down your letters to the church, years after I've gone away, I, by my Holy Spirit, will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said. And that I will guide you in those moments into all truth. So that us today, the church, can have the truth. And this is the the divine inspiration of of our scripture. Um, We see many church church fathers, um, right away, Clement of Rome, who was like one of the first bishops after the, um, the, the destruction of the temple. What is, what is it right away? What do they believe about the scriptures? They are true utterances of the Holy Spirit. Observe that nothing false is written in them. What does Augustine say hundreds, hundreds of years later? Both testaments have been written by one God. Matthew followed the authority of the Holy Ghost under whose guidance he felt his mind be directed more than is the case with us. Augustine saying, I've said many great things. I've written many great things. But Matthew, for example, was inspired and directed into all truth by the Holy Spirit. And what they say, what our scriptures have, is inspired and infallible. And therefore, they are authoritative. So what, how the Spirit has worked over time is creating the Bible that's in your hand. Creating the Bible that people have died for. Creating the Bible that comforts you in your hard times. Guiding you into all truth. The Holy Spirit has been the great teacher who's interpreted the Son to the church and to the world. The Spirit has worked in the past. He's protected the church. He's protected us from heresy. He's guided us into unity. The Spirit also works presently in us individually, which is, which is the last point, how he changes us. Um, and have, have you ever, have, have you ever um, seen the uh, social dilemma? Have most of you seen that? I would assume most of you. Most of you seen the social dilemma. Um, what does the social dilemma teach us? It teaches us that the thing running your addiction is advertisements. Um, that advertisements run the world. Um, there was a moment in, in, in last year during the football season. I love the NFL and I watched the NFL with my kids. And there was a moment 
when I'm driving in the car with my kids and all of a sudden in the back of my van, I hear my kids going like this. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And my son goes, there's a GMC right there next to us. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's a commercial. It's a GMC commercial where people are doing, we will rock you. They saw that so many times. Every Sunday they saw that. And it, and it came to mind. They saw GMC pass and they started doing the sound. Like, oh my gosh, we're screwed. <laughs> you know, have you ever, one of my friends is, a, is an advertising guy. And I was like, man, why does anyone actually buy a truck on Christmas and put a bow on it? Like, does anyone actually ever do that? Um, the answer, I mean, no. No one buys a truck on, on Christmas and gives it to their wife. No one does that. But why do advertising, why is, there, why is that the advertisement every year? Um, because they know you're home with your family. And you're trying to tune them out. And so you're watching a lot of TV. And they know one day, whether that's in two years or 15 years, you're going to have the money to buy a car. And they hope that they can show you that commercial enough that when it comes time to make a purchase, you're going to be like, wait, where is that? GMC. I want a GMC. You're going to make this decision. And you think that it was like an informed decision. No, it was subconscious. It was the 13 years of the clap that got you to that point. Because that's how advertisements work. Um, our athletes make millions of dollars because Gatorade is trying to get you to buy their stuff. So you watch the TV and the TV spots, you know, uh, purchased by ESPN and ESPN's paid by Gatorade. And you're drinking Gatorade wondering why LeBron's making $100 million. That's why. Advertisements. All right. You get the point. So what do advertisement companies know? They know that you desire what you see. And what you see changes how you act or how you purchase, how you buy, how you behave. So you start to desire what you see. And then what you actually see starts to actually change how you act and what you buy. When we think about how the Christian has changed, what life in the Grand Canyon is like? The advertising people get it right. The Spirit gives us a desire to see Christ, and He helps us see Christ. He makes the windshield clean. And the more that we see Christ, the more it changes how we behave. Which is why in a couple weeks I'm waiting to talk about obedience, because at first we need to know how it is that you see Jesus and how it is that you have affections for Jesus. And actually it's those very affections in that very person. The more you see him, the more you actually change in your behavior. The Spirit changes us, as Dane Ortland says, by making Christ wonderful to us. The third person of the Trinity does his work in the individual by spotlighting the second person. The Spirit is the effectual cause of your growth, but Christ is the object. The Spirit gives us a new desire, a new heart to see Christ, and He helps us just keep seeing Him and seeing Him and savoring Him. And the more that we see the work that He's done on our behalf and the love that He has for us that He predestined before the very foundation of the world, the more that we see Him, the more that our behavior changes the more that we'll obey. As we sung earlier, 
Look to Jesus. It will make our obedience sweet. It will make our obedience sweet. I think that's a different approach to how many of you think you change and how many of you think you are maturing in Christ. You don't change by your obedience. You don't change by picking up more disciplines. You change by looking to Christ and seeing him more clearly. And what follows suit is more obedience and more discipline. You know, C.S. Lewis says that there are three types of people in the world. There are those who live purely for themselves and their own selfish desires. Second, there are those who acknowledge that there's some moral code outside themselves that they ought to follow. Whether it's their parents or their, the culture of their church, whatever it is, they know it and they try to follow it. Um, some of you... That's, the, that's Mount Rushmore Christianity. There's something out there I just need to keep looking at, and I just got to try to follow it and do what it says. That's what most of you think your Bible's for, is to teach you what to do. The third type of person is the person who desires to obey. They aren't the person who obeys perfectly, but they desire it. And they're grieved over, they, over their sin when they don't. And Lewis concludes, the core of Christian living is not simply doing what God says, but enjoying God. Core of Christian living is not doing what, is not simply doing what God says, but enjoying God. It's seeing God in Christ. And enjoying and being struck by that. Like repairing a shattered windshield, the Spirit helps us see Christ. Making Him over time more believable, and beautiful. And Dane Ortland, um, when he writes about this, concludes, you'll never become that third type of person by just trying harder. You actually arrive at that third person as you give up on yourself, throw your hands in the air. And it's there that your heart becomes more fertile and most fertile to the supernaturalizing power of the Holy Spirit to work. When you realize, man, there's nothing I can do. All I've got is Christ, like Janie was talking about. I'm going to leave camp and all I have is Christ, and that's sufficient. There's nothing I can do. All I have is Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. He's bearing witness about the Son. He's bringing Him glory. He's helping us see Him. He's giving us a desire. He's helping us look. And the more that we do that, just like the more that we watch GMC commercials, your behavior changes. The more that we see and savor in the gospel message of the person of Christ, the more person of a love, the more of a person of love you become. This is what the Spirit's doing. Um, next week we're going to talk about this middle section that got kind of funky, where it talks about convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Tonight was about the work of Christ by the, the work of the Spirit. Um, in, the, in the life of the Christian, next week is the work of the Spirit in the life of the world um, and what, what he's doing. Um, thanks for coming tonight. Let me pray and we'll sing one, one final song. Um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our great God who in love brought us into your dance that we might find a joy, that we might meet you who um, is the author, the perfecter of our salvation that we might be blown away by your glorious grace, by your wisdom and insight that you lavish upon us. And that it might change us. The more we come to grips with who you are and what you've done, that it might change how we actually think about our life and who we are and what's our place in this world. 
Lord, help us in that effort, we pray in your name. Amen. And let's stand and sing a final song, which is a song about seeing and savoring, seeing and savoring Christ.